Welcome back to the KPL Podcast. I'm your host, Jagisha, and with me is my co-host, Shannon. We are both very excited for this week's guest. It is Lisa Scottolini, and she is here to talk about her new book, What Happened to the Bennetts. Lisa is back for the second time on the KPL Podcast. She was here about a year ago talking about her book, Eternal. And also, for our recommendation segment, Shannon and I will be talking about books about siblings. Because April 10th is National Siblings Day. Let's get started, because there's lots of great stuff ahead. Our guest today is Lisa Scottolini. She is the New York Times bestselling and Edgar Award-winning author of 33 novels, including her latest acclaimed historical fiction, Eternal. She has 30 million copies of her books in print in the United States and has been published in 35 countries. Lisa is back with the KPO podcast to tell us all about what happened to the Bennetts. Welcome back, Lisa. Thank you, Jagisha. I appreciate it. So we'll jump in right in. Tell us about this new book. What happened to the Bennetts? <laughs> it's really, <laughs> this is an idea that came out of what if, because I don't like tailgaters. And I was being tailgated <laughs> one day and I said, what if I was carjacked? And basically what happens in this family is they're driving along. It's a, you know, mom and dad and two kids from a soccer game one night, someone is tailgating them and all of a sudden they're carjacked and it goes horribly, horribly wrong. And I'm not giving anything away because this all happens in the first chapter. They find themselves in the witness protection program overnight. Um, And so they've got to figure out how to survive. And that's really, that's really the premise. Well, so you said what inspired what happened to the Bennett's what ha- you know you don't like tailgaters but who does really i mean i yeah. don't like tailgaters either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but did you learn anything new or surprising while writing uh what happened to the bennett's you know i think yes because i think everything did first off in the tailgating department let me just say i was married to someone who tailgated which ah. right yeah I'm divorced twice now i don't want to say that was the reason but that is a lot of the reason <laughs> Very emblematic of somebody who would tailgate is not a guy you want to marry. In any yeah. event, um, I, what I, you know, it was interesting because I, I never write with an outline. So I didn't even know. I was like, oh my God, what would happen? And I'm lucky enough at this point, you know, I've written a bunch of books. So I know some FBI guys. So I call them. I find a guy who's, who was in the witness security, pro, witness protection program. And, you know, I just wanted to go through what actually would happen. I wanted to kind of educate people about that because it was surprising to me, for example, you go right then. Mm-hmm. And it's also surprising to me that you can't say goodbye to anybody. And oh. w- right now, see so what happens is, you know, the program was initially designed for criminals who are going to, to turn evidence against other criminals. That's not a, that's not a, that's not this profile. This profiles normal people who are law abiding, who have Snapchat and Facebook and Insta and every other thing and kids in school and jobs. And you're going to take them out of their environment and they can't have to leave instantly. And I sort of just wanted to understand what effect that would have. And, and this dad in particular, who's the main character, who kind of doesn't see himself as a hero, but in a way we're always kind of figuring out, you know, we're a culture, we're kind of obsessed with superheroes. I and mean, I just... I go to all those movies. I just got back from the new Superman. Not one Superman. There's three Supermen. It's incredible. And we're always trying to feel like, you know, what are our powers, whether you're a man or you're a woman? You know, as a, I love that great quote by Nora Ephron. She said, um, 
be the heroine in your own life, not the victim. I thought, ooh, that's, that's really kind of good. It's a good mom kind of quote. And uh, so, but I think about that when I write. So you have these characters who are just living their lives and who don't realize that they can be heroic when all of a sudden their life is upended and they're required to be. And they have to figure out a way to save their family because WITSEC, which is supposed to save their family, is in effect creating conditions under which their family will just go under mentally. And the father just can't let that happen. Yeah, yeah that's crazy that you have to just go right then and you can't say goodbye or anything. You just have to turn off all your social media. It's just, that's it. It's right. crazy. Right, right. You can see how it's going to create problems. I mean, because all yeah. their friends are on social media. And then I love sort of adding in this because when I was writing it, I don't, I don't take credit for it. That's why I can, I love it, even though it's in my own book. But I was like, oh, Lisa, you know, because I, I love hearing about the crime bloggers, you know, there's people who are true crime aficionados. And you could see how this would get there. Their blog is called What Happened to the Bennett's question mark. And they're like, oh, they're going to solve it. And it's all part of what I think is kind of great about the culture now, which is it's democratized, you know. It used to look at you guys, you know, you have this podcast, you're in a public library, you have an opinion. You know, it used to be there was like one newspaper that reviewed your book. And there were two critics who had an opinion. You couldn't even get attention from them if you were me. And now you have all kinds of people and people like you who are trying to bring books to people and ideas to people and everything is so much more open. I love that there's crime fiction, crime bloggers who will try to solve real life crimes. And they do. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in this book, it doesn't always benefit this family. And I wanted to play with that too. You know, there used to be a television show uh, back in like 2008 called In Plain Sight. And that was essentially what it was about, where families or, or people just ended up in, in WITSEC. Really? And, and it's exactly with the way you describe it. They would have to leave everything behind and not get a chance to say goodbye. They would just disappear, essentially, and have new yeah. identities and be completely different people. I mean, I know why it's necessary. Mm -hmm. That's what's so hard about it. I love when there's something really ironic, like you get why it's necessary. On the other hand, that's not, that's crazy. That's never going to work. Like you look at that and go, well, that's not going to work. And that's a problem that Jason has. Well, you get your family out of it, they'll get killed. You tell your mom, you know, she can't, I mean, you can imagine separating from your mom mm -hmm. who's in assisted living and has memory issues and it's just a nightmare. It's a night. It's a no win. And I love the fictional no win situation because I think so many of us get no win situations sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you're always going to sort of get a curveball that's really, really tough and try to figure out what to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Huh. So now, was it hard to switch from your last book, The Eternal, was a historical fiction. So now, now you switch back to suspense. Was it a hard to, to switch back and forth? You know, this is going to sound crazy, but honestly, it wasn't at all. And that's when I learned something. That's why I just love books so much and love what you guys do so much. Because if I hadn't done it, first of all, I was so scared to write Eternal because I hadn't written historical fiction. I was like, oh, that's different. That's for someone who's whatever, not you, someone smarter than you, someone better, whatever. You get insecure. And now that I did it, I said, well, wait a minute. You're writing about the same themes. I'm always interested in justice and family and love. That's it. That's what I'm interested in. And if there's a through line in any of my books, it's that. So they're thematically the same thing. And then when I switched from eternal to what happened to the Bennett's, I said, 
it does, there's actually no difference. It ends up being a distinction that's form over substance. You know, it's, it's a superficial distinction. One set in Mussolini's time, one set in modern day Delaware. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. That's the secret. Now, it might not be the answer you expect, but I can tell you it's a true and honest yeah. answer. Yeah, people are people and, uh, and we right. through time. So we've always looked for love and family and looked for right. just, it doesn't matter what time periods it is in. Right. right, it's probably the reason history, now you think about it, history repeats itself because we're still people. Sometimes we learn and sometimes we don't. And so I always feel like you, sometimes you get the le same lesson because you gotta freaking learn this lesson kind of. Yeah, exactly. Well. Speaking of going back in time, uh, what advice would you give yourself at the start of your career if you could go back in time? Oh my God, what a good question. No one has ever asked that. You know what I think it would be? I can say it because it's what I tell writers now and I really want to encourage people to write. My daughter just finished her, published her first novel and I, she heard this in spades. And it really was just do it. That I think, especially as women, you feel we're not really uh, socialized to take risk well. So we're nervous. And we tell ourselves we're not ready. And if we just do this homework and we just read this research book, we'll be ready. That's how I felt about the historical fiction. Even at my age, I was like, you're not ready to do this. And finally, I was like, you know, you're half dead. Like you better, <laughs> oh, holy God, what are you waiting for? You know, other people take chances. Why can't you take chances? And so I'd really encourage people to just to give it a shot. You know, there's such good books about writing and you probably have plenty of them, you know, the Anne Lamott Bird by Bird. She says, give yourself permission to write a crappy first draft. That's really true. Mm -hmm. Stephen King has written a wonderful one, love his, called On Writing, which really emphasizes that, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. It's not the, you don't have to have an MFA or know anybody. You just have to want to tell a story. And we all want to tell a story and we all love to hear stories. That's, that's what libraries are for, right? Just to help us all connect and allow our imaginations to flow and what it is to be a human being. I'm getting carried away, but I think it's true. Oh, yeah. I believe it. No, for sure. I mean, you're talking to two people who love stories. I mean, it's, it's what it's yeah. all about. <laughs> right, that is what it's all about. It's just all about a story. That's why I started to love audiobooks so much because I was like, this is someone telling you the story. And I, and I discovered that since the pandemic. I used to listen a little, but now when I walk the dogs and I'm going to do that later this afternoon, I'll be listening. Mm -hmm. And it's, oh, someone's telling me a story. This is great. I love the audiobook of this book, Eduardo Bellarini, um, who's terrific audiobook narrator. I picked him. Uh, he did Eternal and I thought he did such an amazing job and I was just so happy to get him back. Oh yeah, That's I awesome. love listening to audiobooks too. So, and the narrators are amazing. Huh. They they bring so much to it. And I can say that because, you know, I write these humor books too, and libraries have been wonderful supporters of those, you know, just they're on my Facebook page every Sunday morning. I put up a humor column, right? Well, when it came to audiobooks with those, I recorded those with my daughter. Let me tell you how hard that is. It's really hard. <laughs> you know, especially when it's humor, right? I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. And you're like, you're, you're talking too fast or you're talking too slow. And, you know, and I go, how, how do they, and there would be dramatic parts I wrote about my mom died. I'm, I'm reading that, I'm getting choked up. I was like, it was like a nightmare. So I really appreciate people who, you know, who can, who narrate an audiobook. they're wonderful. So we know from your last library or last library, from your last visit that you love libraries. So is there a local library that you'd like to give a shout out to? You know what? 
I'm going to, I live in Chester County, but I'm going to say no, because I don't want to put anybody out and I'm to have speaking gigs at all of them. And you want to get into a thing, but I think generally, I just want to say, let's reiterate it really, because I love libraries because I'm just a, a sentient human being. It's not because I'm an author. I love libraries before. I think libraries are the reason I'm an author. Um, what I love about what you do and what you need to hear from someone like me is that, um, you really don't know who's walking in your doors. That's what I always think. You know, they could be really loved at home like I was, but there weren't any books in the house. And I remember my mother always saying like, stop reading, it will ruin your eyes. That my, they never encouraged reading. They, she didn't even get it. She thought I was a little nutty. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, and it really wasn't until I got to the library and I was like, look at all these people all getting 10 books out, 12 is the limit. I'm in the summer reading with the little stamps and barefoot stuff. And she was like, this kid's crazy. But what is just crazy about reading and what the reading, what the library gave me is a, a sense of self-esteem of really being a part of a group that understood and valued what I valued. And that's a, that's a gift that you're giving people every day. And what you went through with the pandemic. And I know you guys probably had curbside and staggered hours and God, I remember, I think when we spoke, part of the lights were off. I mean, <laughs> just the worst, just the most difficult time, but you are the, you are the heroes and heroines. You really, really are. And I hope you feel that because you need to hear that sometimes. It's, it's, uh, I, it's just really true. It's really true. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. I joked myself up now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay. I'm getting a little choked up myself. But when I see your faces and I, I just want you to hear it. You know, I just really want you to know it, feel it. It's a lot Thank of love. You. Just it's, it's a lot of zoom is zoom. You can, you can love zoom someone. I gave that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our guest today is Lisa Scottolini who loves libraries. <laughs> Her novel, What Happened to the Bennett, is available at the Kirkwood Public Library and wherever exciting thrillers are sold. Thank you so much for being with us today. I love you guys. I hope you feel good. And I want you to know how much I love you and appreciate you. And your community thanks you so, so much. Well, thank you so much. We do appreciate hearing that. Very <laughs> well, you cuties. And I'll see you in soon, sooner or later in person. All right. So National Siblings Day is Sunday, April 10th. Geisha and I thought we would talk about some of our favorite sibling relationships in fiction. Relationship that we both agreed on that we thought was a classic was Ramona and Beezus from the Ramona books by Beverly Cleary. I grew up reading those. I think a I think everybody, even nowadays, grows up reading the Ramona books. Despite their age, they are still relevant and still very popular. I remember really relating both to Ramona and and Beezus because I'm a I'm an older sister and a younger sister. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm you're a middle, middle child. <laughs> I am. I'm a middle child. Uh, one of the <laughs> and so it was like. I could totally relate to some of the stuff of being a younger sibling who, you know, sometimes is like treated like they're an annoyance, uh, but also understand feeling annoyed by your own younger sibling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yep. You got a little bit of both worlds. Um, <laughs> I have a younger sibling, so I mostly remember being annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So no, but I mean, Ramona and Beezus, they had such an interesting relationship because you could tell that they loved each other no matter how much they got on each other's nerves. <laughs> True. Now, a uh, fun fact, do you know when these books were originally published? Oh, gosh, wasn't it like the 60s? Actually, the... a little bit earlier. It was 1955 was when Beezus and Ramona came out. Wow, yeah. So I know that's crazy because I remember reading them and I would have been reading them in the 90s, the early 90s, and thinking that they seemed kind of dated at the time, but also that they just still because uh, they were just still relatable Mm -hmm. um, and and everything. And so and I know they still check out today and it's even longer (laughs) and even longer time. But because they're just the themes of, you know, family and the struggles of like when her dad is out of a job, um, you know, her clashing with her mom, those things are like universal. No matter how much time passes, those things still happen. <laughs> I know. I can't believe the books are, I mean, 1955, that's almost 70 years. And I read them I know. mid 80s. So yeah, they were, I mean, even then they were 30 years old when we were reading them. Yeah, that's crazy. I think that means probably my mom, my parents probably read them. So I, I can't remember if they did or not. I'd have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, I've always loved Beverly Clearly, Cleary's books. Uh, even the later books like Superfetch was one of my favorites. Also, I think I, I pretty much read the whole series of, of books that she's ever written. Yeah, she was she was fantastic. She really was. And like I said, those books still fly off the shelves. They're always being checked out. So um, I, I doubt they'll ever be out of print. So just because uh, Ramona in, is such a fun character and so is Beezus and just seeing them interact, it's, it's a great sibling relationship and helps, you know, and a good reflection of how you are around your own siblings. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now you have another one for us too. So what's your second recommendation? I do. So I have always been like particularly fond of uh, the relationship between Scout and Jim into Kill a Mockingbird uh, by Harper Lee, Um, because I so I am kind of a middle child. I'm one of two middle children. There's four of us and I have a younger brother and we were we're very close in age. And so I spent a lot of my childhood uh playing like you know going out and playing with my younger brother and our next door neighbor zach uh and i was quite the tomboy just like scout and so it it's when i would read to kill a mockingbird it kind of reminds me of my childhood a bit in that there was the three of us and we'd go out and have adventures and play cops and robbers and all that stuff three of us except i'm i'm the older one so unlike Scout, who's the younger sibling of Jem, uh, I'm actually the older, the older mm-hmm. sibling. But yeah, and they were just always so supportive of each other, had sometimes an antagonistic relationship, but that's how it is with your siblings. Sometimes you fight, but also like they were always hanging out together. And um, so I've always really loved the, that relationship because it just reminds me 
of my own relationship with my brother and my uh, next door neighbor from when I was a kid. So <laughs> plus it's a it's a great book. So it's, it's a wonderful novel, a classic. Yeah. And I always loved Scout. She was just a, a great character. Like I said, I was a tomboy and she she was a tomboy. So I just love them. Yeah. I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird is just one of my favorite books of all time. So yeah, good choice. And then I think you had a, a couple of more, some classic sibling relationships as well. I did. So Little Women, of course, you have the four sisters and their relationship. Mm-hmm. And Pride and Prejudice is really, there is quite a bit of sibling relationship stuff going on but in those books too. Yes, a lot. <laughs> so, and you know, I guess at that time period when the books were written, I guess, um, big family. So having four siblings or five or six even, was you know I only have the one sibling but both of my parents each have five siblings and so they're from a family of of just six kids so yeah yeah for sure the relationship between the sisters is one of the main drivers of both books of the plot mm-hmm. so I mean really if you think about it uh especially with um I mean in Little Women the whole uh Joe and Amy and their issues with each other mm-hmm. um Beth and uh, her sisters being so dedicated to her but then well I, I don't know like I feel like I don't can I spoil Little Women is <laughs> give away spoilers of uh, a book that's been out for so long that everybody knows about <laughs> I think we know the story plus they've done movies about it too so that's true in fact they just had a one come out was that last year or the year before mm-hmm. so um yeah and then to, so them just being devastated when she passes away yeah, and then of course the whole thing with Jane and Lizzie in Pride and Prejudice. So with Lizzie just ripping a new one to Darcy because of the whole uh, situation with Bingley and Jane. Right, and then also the younger sister who run who uh, runs away with Wickham. So there's a uh, that other whole other part of it. Yeah, that whole Lydia and yeah, she was quite a handful. She, but she was the baby of the family, and we all know how the baby of the family is treated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they get away with everything. <laughs> yeah, they sure do. I, we get to see that because we're neither of us are the baby. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. So, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so those are our suggestions and, um, you know, our favorite sibling relationships in um, fiction for uh, National Sibling Day. What are your favorites? Uh, let us know and, uh, you know, give us some more recommendations. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> uh, email us at podcast at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org. And to end this episode, since it is National Siblings Day coming up. We'd like to give a shout out to our own siblings. So for me, Callie, Kara, Ryan, I love you guys. Uh, even <laughs> though I don't get to see you as often as I'd like, um, I do love you three. And I'll give a shout out to my sister, Namisha. So I'm looking forward to seeing you very soon. I'm going to go see her in Miami. So I'm looking forward to eating sushi. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. Nice. So, all right. And thank you all. And that is our episode for this week. Thank you to Lisa Scottolini for uh, visiting the podcast and stay tuned for next week's episode where we welcome author Rosie Walsh. 
And I'd like to end today with a quote about siblings in honor of National Siblings Day on April 10th. To the outside world, we all grow old, but not to brothers and sisters. We know each other as we always were. We know each other's hearts. We share private family jokes. We remember family feuds and secrets, family griefs and joys. Clara Ortega. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.